Well, hello, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm Steve. I am one of the pastors at King's Church Mid-Sussex, and you're here. We're going to look at the Bible together, so let's do this. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to be reading shortly from Luke's Gospel, his account of Jesus' life. It's the beginning of the New Testament, uh, and I'm reading from chapter 5. It's a curious thing for me to be here doing this as I was trying to assemble some interesting and helpful words for today. Uh, I was remembering how much I preferred numbers to words at school. Just moments I would have done anything to avoid this sort of thing. I'd, I, I liked maths and science. Uh, I don't know if that's you or not. I preferred them because it was basically anything that avoided writing essays. I wasn't a wordy essay kind of person. So I became an engineer, uh, thinking that would keep me nearer to specific, measurable, ordered, sort of tangible things. And, and spreadsheets. Oh, <laughs> spreadsheets were happy. <laughs> but the Bible calls Jesus the Word. And as... People tell us about Jesus' life, they call him the Word. Uh, and for me, following Jesus has meant leaving a world that I could count, and that I could measure, that I could control and organize, and living with words of truth that reorder our lives. It's, uh, it's less tidy or predictable, well, in terms of my idea of tidiness and predictability, there is an order, and someone is clearly in control, but it's not me anymore. It's different. There's, uh, there's a, all sorts of things about me being here, my life today, that I didn't expect. And yet I follow Jesus here gladly. It's a huge privilege to be here and to be able to talk about him in this kind of way. Maybe you didn't expect to be here today. Or else you didn't expect your life being quite like it is just now. Certainly, uh, maybe you didn't expect to find me online uh, if you're watching this. If this seems unlikely for you, then you are in really good company. Uh, because we're going to take a third look at people meeting Luke, uh, meeting Jesus in the book of Luke. It's life-changing encounters from the book of Luke. So I'm going to read now just a few verses from the Bible. It's a book called Luke, and it's chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After this, this is Jesus, after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Now, I want to look at three aspects of this. All t- hey, I've admitted I'm a tidy-minded sort. All the best sermons kind of have three little bits, don't they? I'm going to attempt to do that in the next little while. But the first thing that strikes me about this is the first two words that Luke gives us as he talks about this encounter with Jesus. I'm reading it and he says, after this. And so immediately as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, so what was it after? Luke is trying to get our attention. Something's happened here before this particular encounter. Uh, And he wants us to know that this encounter has quite significantly happened after that stuff. So if you look back through Luke chapter 5, through that bit of the Bible before the bit we've read, we discover that it was after an epic fishing trip. That's even if you don't think the word epic and fishing trip belong in the same sentence. (laughs) I wasn't sure if they did myself. But it's after Jesus has cured an incurable skin condition. And he's done it in a, frankly, pretty unconventional kind of way. Quite shockingly so. It's after Jesus has forgiven the sins of a paralyzed man who had been let down through the roof. Uh, Not through fancy sort of supersized Velux windows, uh, but through windows that were, you know, Veluxes that were purpose-made, like in the moment for letting a man down through it. Do you get that? They ripped the roof open. And after Jesus, who knew that people wondered, hold on, has he actually made up that bit about forgiving sins? Uh, thought he would demonstrate his authority by also saying to this paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he does. It's just like, get that, what is happening? It's after Luke tells us that people are starting to glorify God, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. It's like, this is like major historic. It's sort of, Biblical. That's a word they seem to like to use on the news about weather these days, isn't it? But this is, this is like biblical. Funny that, because it's in the Bible. Okay. But biblical stuff's going on. Amazing signs and wonders and miracles after all of this. I wonder, you know, as I think that's really significant. Luke is wanting us to get, this isn't just, look, oh, and here's another thing that happened. Why is he trying to draw a parallel between those? And it strikes me there's a real contrast between the ways that many of us might think about meeting Jesus. You want to meet Jesus? After what is it that you exactly might choose to meet Jesus? Who do you think he is? Because nowadays it strikes me, you know, People want to meet Jesus when they're not sure what's happened in their life and they're not sure who he is. But these people, they were meeting Jesus after they had really carefully listened to his words. They were meeting Jesus after they'd seen him do some pretty amazing stuff and they thought about it and thought, hmm, I think that's probably God. You know, they all had a very clear sense of Jesus' importance 
and his significance. And that's quite a contrast because too many of us today are completely unsure whether or not God is important, but much more certain about our own significance. And we're then thinking, hmm, yeah, I wouldn't mind meeting Jesus. I could do to tell him a thing or two. This wasn't that kind of meeting. It was after some things that had certainly given them them a a challenging, a mind-bending, you know, perspective-shifting, stretching idea of who Jesus was. We may have, you know, focused on what's happened in our lives, what we've achieved, what we've gained or lost, what we want or what we need. But these people had much more sense of what was going on in Jesus' life, what he was doing, what he'd said. That's different. And I want us to notice that because the thing is, if we want to meet Jesus like people in the Bible did, and I certainly do, I think it'll need to be after we've recognized, just like they did, some stuff about who he was, what he said, and what he did. Just how significant Jesus was. After this, it tells us. And then it goes on to tell us what he did. It's striking, it says. He went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Now here's the thing, right? Everyone knows they're in the presence of like a a major league spiritual leader or teacher. They've, They've worked out Jesus is like right up there. Pretty significant kind of person. In their day, spiritual leaders and teachers were called rabbis amongst those Jewish people. I had followers. These days, I suggest, although rabbis obviously still exist, these days, if that many people were impressed by somebody in that way, I wonder if we'd call them an influencer or something. Anyway, all this stuff clearly set Jesus out as an influencer or or a rabbi. And so everyone who was hearing Luke's good news, Jesus' book, knew that a rabbi would have people queuing around the block, frankly, to follow him. Because influencers have followers, right? You know that. And in that day, whilst today people maybe are following influencers for their appearance... In that day, people were following influencers for their spiritual direction. They looked for teachers to follow who would speak to them about inside and some of the stuff of how life was. People to look up to and copy. Think of it as like a kind of spiritual Instagram. Okay. But unlike Instagram, where people usually pick you know, the people they want to follow, uh, if you want to follow somebody in that time... Uh, you'd have to wait to be asked to follow them. Bit of a different paradigm, right? You'd have to be wait to be told if you were good enough to follow them. And a few, like, amazing rabbis were known for calling their own followers. They were like the super Premier League teachers uh, who would pick the cream of the crop, they would go after those they recognized with the aptitude and potential and the commitment necessary for 
enhancing their own sense of greatness, just beefing up the reputation of this particular rabbi or influencer. So get this, straight after Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us, that Jesus was behaving like some kind of super rabbi, he says that Jesus went after a tax collector, busy at his widely accepted odious occupation. And he says to a tax collector, follow me. It's shocking. Like, what is Jesus doing? Just what sort of a meeting is this going to be? A tax collector. I don't think the tax collectors have got any, um, apologies if there are any tax collectors in the room. You know, we should maybe pray for the inland revenue at some point in the morning. I'm not sure if tax collectors have got any more popular. They were certainly pretty unpopular in that day. The occupying Roman forces made the Jewish authorities uh, collect all the basic taxes for them. Your kind of poll tax and all that sort of thing. But then they, they actually sold tax contracts, okay? It's not going to get into a complicated preach on tax law, all right? just going to say this little bit and we're going to move on, but you just need to get this little bit. The Romans sold these kind of tax-collecting contracts to the highest bidder, people to collect sort of extra taxes. And these taxes were like tolls and duties. You got taxed for travelling and you got taxed for luggage, basically. And so local people would buy the chance for as much money as they could stump up to collect taxes off of their neighbours and hand it over to Rome. And they would set up these tax-collecting booths where they would collect these taxes and the rules were that they were allowed to add their costs and whatever profit margin they chose. So guess how much profit they chose to collect. In other words, they had full permission to scam their neighbours for as much surplus tax as they dared. I mean, virtually public enemy number one, weren't they? After this, Jesus went to the tax collector's booth and he called Levi. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? There was no, they were just universally unpopular. Every opinion of a tax collector said that any aptitude they had, remember that's a thing for followers, any aptitude had been well and truly misplaced into scamming people. Any commitment they had was frankly only to themselves, to their own gain, their own profit, and all their potential was wasted on this reckless, selfish life they followed. So all human reasoning said this is never going to work. Because a tax collector could simply never make it following Jesus. Because everybody had this idea that those who got to follow Jesus were the deserving. They were the people who followed in some way on their own merit, by their own achievements, or at least by their own potential and capacity to do that. Their own ability to maybe make a, a decent hash of being a Jesus follower. What did Levi the tax collector have like? Zilch. None of that, does he? And yet Jesus says to him, 
I see in you the potential to become more like me. I see in you the potential to think and act just like me. And so he makes an invitation. He says to Levi, follow me. Wow. He's, you know, the follow ask was massive. Everyone knew. He was saying to him, Levi, I am offering you constant ongoing access to me, to my traveling, eating, and resting with me. I mean, just on that level, right? If Matthew wasn't going to be changed by this, he was going to tax Jesus up to the eyeballs, wasn't he? You can travel with me everywhere. Just keep the bill running. But he, he sees something else. Please, he says, effectively saying to Levi, look carefully at what I'm doing. Listen to all that I'm saying. Ask and learn about why I'm doing this. And... In the ask to follow, he's saying, please trust me to provide for you. It's massive. But the thing is, this following was not based on who the tax collector might become. It was based on who Jesus is. That's the incredible thing about a call from Jesus. It's just this perfect snapshot of the gospel. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've, I've noticed that people still think they know who follows Jesus. Either they think that it's, it's probably someone better than me because I'm not good enough to be a Christian. As if anyone was so good they didn't need Jesus to die for them, right? But they still think it. Or else they think, if they don't think I'm not good enough, they think, well, who follows Jesus uh, is probably someone less good than me because... I wouldn't be foolish enough to be taken in by all that Jesus malarkey. Really? Follow Jesus? Not for me. You know, Jesus is only for people who need a crutch, right? (laughs) Well, from my point of view, the crutch theory doesn't hold up, you know? Because if I was making up a religion or choosing from one of the ones currently available, uh, you know, because I needed a crutch or I needed support, whatever God or power that religion had... I would want to follow me. (laughs) And Christianity is the opposite of that. In Christianity, I don't get God following me around propping me up. I get called to follow him. Radically different. But either way, whatever theories people have, whatever they think they know about who follows Jesus, we don't know. And neither is it actually that it's kind of just the opposite of what we might, we might expect. Well, I was never expecting it to be a tax collector. Okay, well, that rewrites the rules. It, may, it must be the opposite. It's, you know, if it's not people I like or I might associate with, perhaps it's just always people I don't like or something. In other words, what I, uh, God would choose the opposite of what I might naturally choose. Oh, good, I know what God thinks about people now. Sorry if you think you know what God thinks about people because you think it's the opposite of what you think. Think again. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that does make sense. You might need just to write it down and chew it over. Don't worry, there'll be some other bits that are easier coming up. God's ways 
The thing is, God's ways, his choices, they are other. They're just like something else. It's not about it's, whether it's what you would choose or whether it's the opposite of what you choose. It's something else. You know, so we almost, it's so something else, frankly, from our choices, that you end up kind of needing another word for what God chooses and how he acts. And the Bible uses another word. It's a word we may not use quite so much as biblical in the news. It's the word holy. And sometimes, because the Bible is trying to help us understand that God is not just other, he's like way, way other. It kind of says it three times in a row. God is holy, holy, holy. As if once simply isn't enough. It's important that we recognize who God calls. We recognize something of his ways, as difficult as that is for us always to know or understand. I don't know. If we don't always recognize who God calls, maybe he's calling you. And you haven't recognized it yet. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe why, that's why Christians have that something. You know, well, that's something about them. What is it? Maybe you just haven't recognized God's calling you. Oh, no, I don't know if I could be a Christian. Just, you know, I don't think Levi thought he could be a Christian. If we don't always recognize who God calls, then anything could happen in the next 15 minutes, right? What might God say that we're also not expecting? Are you ready to see God call the unexpected? Maybe you. Maybe calling you to something that you didn't expect. Are you ready to see him doing stuff in your life? You're like, oh, God couldn't do that. And, Sorry, he's God. Maybe he could. I just, there's so many details in this I love. I love the, the next detail that I really enjoy. is that Not only that Matthew, uh, Jesus goes to the tax collector's booth and he finds this guy, but the Luke tells us he calls Levi. I, I love that. You see, uh, the business language of the world, a bit like English, uh, is a, you know, not quite a universal language, but it's used in lots of communication and in lots of environments across cultures. In that day, Greek was kind of like the most common language. So although Levi and a bunch of other people who we read about in the Bible were Jews and grew up speaking a Jewish language called Aramaic, uh, you know, everybody kind of had to learn to speak Greek if you were going to do any business. And frankly, that's what tax collectors did. They would have spoken Greek. Not only that, but instead of having, you know, their own names, everybody assumed like a business name, a Greek name. And so if you'd have gone up to that tax collector's booth that day, if there was any branding on the booth, and I think branding's probably a bit of a modern invention, it would have said, Matthew's taxes. Okay, the guy we re recognize from other places in the Bible was called Matthew. The other gospel writers tell us something about it. 
Matthew's taxes, it would have said, because he was known as that. And yet Luke is careful to tell us he calls Levi. Can you imagine Jesus walking up to the booth and going, Levi, follow me. I mean, if there's any other tax collectors around the booth, they're like, who's he talking to? This, that's Matthew. And in that moment, this guy, whose mum and dad called him Levi, when they called him to dinner, you know, who said, Levi, it's time to get up now. We're going out now. Who, the people who knew everything about him, who raised him, called him Levi. Suddenly, Jesus comes up to his booth and he's not sort of coming to pay his dues or, or whatever. He's just come to say, I know you. I so completely know you. I know everything about you. I knew how you've grown up. I know who you are. I'm calling something out of you because that is God's call. He doesn't just say, well, some other people think you're a bit like this and yeah, you'd make a fair hash as a Christian a bit like that. He comes to you and says, I know you. I know how God's called you. I know what he's called you to be. I know those things in you that even if no one else sees them in you, I see them in you. That's how I've called you. That's how I know you. Following Jesus is a place to be known like nothing else, like no one else. It's amazing. And Levi, which I just love this, Levi actually means joined to. Get that right? So Levi the tax collector, he's sort of joined to this, uh, and I just love the sort of poetry of it, as Luke's telling us, kind of joined to this corrupt system. And Jesus speaks to him and says, Levi. He's calling him to say, look, I know, what, I know who you are, I know what you're joined to, follow me. Be joined to me. It either means joined to or joined in harmony. He's saying, be, be joined in harmony to me. Nobody else wanted to be joined in harmony to Levi or Matthew, as they probably knew him. They wanted to get away from him before he asked for some more tax. And Jesus says, Levi, follow me. Be joined to me. What a meeting with Jesus. Who was he in harmony with now? I love that Luke is challenging us to recognize that, to think on this. I read this and think, thanks for your help, Luke. I need some help with my words. The obvious question leaps off the pages. Luke leads us to wonder, who am I joined in harmony with? Have I met Jesus like that? Have you? Have I been changed like this? Have I been called out by name where Jesus says, yeah, I know who you are. I know what I've put in you. I know your identity. I know what you've grown up with. I know what you're capable of. I know that you can commit to this. I know what you will be in me. Follow me. Jesus called us like that. So did Levi follow? Not half. Luke tells us he left everything. Get that right. He left everything to follow Jesus. Just amazing. 
Now, you'd think, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make this unduly complicated, right? But you'd think that leaving everything is a pretty obvious term, isn't it? How much is everything? Uh, so there wouldn't be too much to say about that on this point. After all, I've got a few other verses. Maybe I should say, move on and say something else. But this is where I want us to land, to focus. Because if you don't get, I mean, if you get that leaving everything could mean everything, then I don't want to make that any more complicated for you. But the thing is, when I read this, I'm scratching my head slightly because we recognize from the next few verses that uh, Levi still had a house. And he had the not inconsiderable resources necessary (laughs) in order to throw a great banquet. Biggest feast in the whole book of Luke. The only other time a great banquet gets a mention is when Jesus tells a story about it, but nobody else has a meal quite as big and quite as grand as this one. Uh, Thrown by the guy who'd left everything. Uh, So what, he didn't sell up? He didn't hand all his money to the poor? Oh, okay. Uh, Sorry, remember I'm the numbers guy. I want to make a spreadsheet of what everything was for Levi, but I'm just trying to get to grips with that. So what is Luke meaning when he says he left everything? I'm going to suggest two things that he's meaning. The first thing is he's wanting to show us that he left in exactly the same way that the fishermen did. Remember the epic fishing trip? At the end of that epic fishing trip, it says the disciples left everything. So just in case anybody who's listening to Luke, reading his account of Jesus says, yeah, but there's followers of Jesus, and then there's followers of Jesus. Uh, You know, there's some guys who really get it, and other guys who just sort of. Now, when Jesus calls people, they all leave everything. He's lining them up and saying, same as the other guys. Doesn't matter what you think he was, or what you think he's capable of, I saw him leave everything. I saw him make the same response to Jesus. And he wants us to see that parity between the two. So I think he's saying, look, this guy's the same as all the rest. He's following Jesus. Amazing. And secondly, he's wanting to, us to recognize that it's some stuff changed. He did leave some things. And it was pretty inclusive. In fact... I would suggest he left everything that he needed to in order to follow Jesus. Yeah? He had changed, you know. He definitely changed. People, I don't know if the saying, can leopards change their spots, was a saying in those days. If it wasn't, you know, well, the tax collectors ever leave their booths might have been a saying. He left everything. He'd been changed. Luke wants us to know that. Meeting Jesus changes us. And it can change us in any and every way. If you haven't changed, have you met Jesus? If you're not changing, are you following him? But Levi, joined to Levi, was now joined to Jesus. He was in harmony with Jesus And he was in harmony with Jesus' other followers. Because following Jesus joins us with Jesus, and it joins us with Jesus' followers. 
however different we were before that. There's something that joins us, the most important thing that we have in common. If you're not joining with others who's following Jesus, it's probably worth asking yourself again if or how you are actually following Jesus. Well, it's just me and Jesus. Didn't happen like that in the Bible. Didn't happen. Interestingly, Jesus didn't ask the fishermen to leave everything. He called them to follow him. Jesus didn't ask Levi to leave everything. He went to his tax collector's booth and said, follow me. Because leaving everything isn't what we have to do to follow Jesus. It's just what following Jesus looks like. And that's an important difference. It's what following Jesus looks like, mostly. Leaving everything is not the point. Following Jesus is the point. Leaving everything is not the point. Following Jesus is the point. Last time I looked, you know, looked up giving up stuff, it was called asceticism. That's a whole different value system, isn't it? Simplicity is not the same as spirituality. It's just not. Decluttering can be really helpful. Yeah, probably all need to think about that. Money and stuff can definitely distract you from following Jesus. Undoubtedly. And sorting it out, decluttering, simplifying, could be removing lots of unhelpful distractions. Or it could be replacing an obsession with stuff for an obsession with kind of minimalism, and reordering and tidying. There's definitely a few of those out there somewhere. Christianity is not about tidying up stuff or even having it carefully tidy. Christianity is about truth in relationship. That's a big deal. It's about love. It's about forgiveness. It's about joy and grace and peace joined to Jesus. The measure is not, have I left enough stuff to call it nearly everything? It's not about, neither is it, how much am I allowed to take with me as a Christian? Yeah, I don't actually want to give up everything to follow Jesus. I'd quite like to follow Jesus, but I wouldn't mind taking this too. It's not about that. It's about saying, I'm ready to give up everything to follow him because I'm ready to follow. Being joined to him is more important than stuff and things it's fascinating having told us that Levi followed Jesus Luke doesn't mention Levi again well not by that name he's simply listed by his more commonly known name of Matthew just a couple of more times among Jesus' first 12 followers But this Levi is widely accepted as the same Matthew who was inspired to write an account of Jesus' life. The book of Matthew that you may have peeked at in the Bible. It turns out that Matthew left a world of counting and figures for one of words and truth. I think I know what that feels like. I wonder if you do. What would it mean? Because meeting Jesus changes us. Following Jesus changes everything. 
It's the place, it's a place to build our lives. It's a place where we trust him with or without, here or there. So I want us to worship Jesus, to sing in response, and we are going to pray. So if the band want to come up, uh, I'm going to pray, we're going to worship. I believe there will be some things God wants to say to us, some ways that we may need to respond. Lord Jesus, we come to you now grateful for this record of encounter, this moment of meeting Levi. Jesus, uh, we recognise that your ways are other than us. You are holy, holy, holy. We're stretched by the extent of your love, your grace for people we may not always have grace for. We thank you uh, for this incredible example of your kingdom advance, what it means to call out the unlikely. Whether We thank you, God, that you're calling us today. Thank you, God, for things that you are speaking in this room. In this moment, we choose to respond to you in worship for what our lives will be with you. Amen.